Hey, Drew Dixon from Loveland Nerd back with you for another Bible Thump. Um, it's been a while, it's the holidays, and I missed last week, so it's good to be with you again. But we're in Mark's Gospel, and we're starting in Mark 14, starting in verse 53. So I'm going to read, we're almost to the end. Uh, we're getting to the really, um, like, nitty-gritty, like the the climax, the the culmination of where Mark's Gospel has been headed all this time. And so this is a really exciting part of Mark's Gospel, and there's a lot here that we could talk about, but we're just going to focus on the big picture, uh, and I hope I hope it encourages you. So Mark 14, starting verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and did not answer. And the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do you still need witnesses? You have heard, him bla- you have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy. The temple, uh, the temple servants also took him and slapped him. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, You were also with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out into the entryway, and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter, Again, you certainly are one of them, since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Alright, so there's a lot going on here. First of all, we see this really stark contrast between Jesus and Peter, right? Jesus maintains his integrity at the cost of his life, while Peter loses his integrity to save his own skin, um, to protect himself. And uh, in the midst of all this, too, there's this essentially trial, this uh, religious court, the Sanhedrin, brings Jesus before them and begins to question Jesus, all the while looking for ways to, to, to do what they, they do at the end, which is to, tell, to, say, to, to, de- to declare that he's deserving of death. And so, um, yeah, uh, in this... Uh, there, there's a there's a lot going on. Um, first of all, they're saying he's a false prophet, right? Um, and uh, that would be a serious charge amongst the Jews because if you were a false prophet, there were big consequences for that. Like, um, ultimately, if you were a false prophet, you would be under the condemnation of God, but also the nation of Israel would have seen it seen itself as having a a responsibility to deal with you. And so they're trying to claim that. He's made test that he's made prophecies about um, 
the temple and so forth that are that are not true. Uh, but but connected to that is this whole issue of things Jesus had actually said and done in the temple. Remember, not too long ago, Jesus went into the temple and threw tables over, uh, ran people out, um, caused a huge scene, and all of that was designed to really cast judgment on the temple. Jesus was saying, essentially, to the leaders of the temple and the leader, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, that like you're doing this wrong. Like it would be better for at least a while if the temple didn't operate. By running the money changers out of the temple, throwing over the tables, like he disrupted the operation of the temple, um, and that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Jesus was saying something very profound about the temple. And he's not saying that the temple was, um, it's really important that we understand he's not condemning the temple itself. What he was condemning was the way the temple was operating. He said, my uh, father's house was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of robbers. He's saying Israel and Israel's religious leaders and its whole like system of relating to God is was wrong. W- not was wrong, sorry. Uh, the system was good. Like, God instituted the temple. Like, all those things were from God. But the way it was operating was wrong, was broken, was corrupted, and it was turning people away. And ultimately, it was um, turning Israel into this thing that it was never meant to be. It was always supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, meaning Israel was always to be a light to the nations. But they'd lost sight of that and become... Um, like myopic, yeah, do you know, that's a big word, sorry, um, like only focused on themselves and not seeing their responsibility to their neighbor. You see what I mean? Like they were not seeing their responsibility to their Gentile neighbors. They saw Rome only as their enemy and not as their neighbor. They saw the Gentiles only as their enemy and not as their neighbor. They saw Samaritans only as their enemy and not as their neighbor, as, as stumbling blocks or, or stepping stones to get to where they needed to be rather than opportunities and people to be loved and served and cared for. Um, so at the heart of, of the gospel, too, there's this conflict of like, our, not just um, Jesus going to the cross to achieve our salvation, like that's a huge deal, that's really important, but also like behind that is this whole thing of like, are we going to get behind the mission of God that Jesus continually embodied, lived out, proclaimed, um, and, and, and pointed people to? Like, are we going to get behind his kingdom work, or are we going to, are we going to condemn him and claim he's blasphemous, and claim he's, um, he's a false prophet? So, uh, but also there's this whole idea of of there's this accusation behind this of of are you the Messiah, right? And that's connected to this idea of like, in in the Jews' mind, the Messiah was not just like a great leader or, or a prophet, but he was, the Messiah was a king. And, and the Messiah was one that would come in and deal with Israel's foreign, the foreign powers that were oppressing Israel, which right now that's Rome, right? And so that's the big deal here is like, Jesus, are you the Messiah? They're asking like, are you claiming to be king? Because if he is claiming to be king, um, it's not wrong to claim to be the Messiah. That's really important. Like, if you really can back it up, that's it's not wrong to claim to be to be the Messiah. And Jesus embraces that full on, but they're trying to get him to commit treason against Rome. They want him to say, "Yes, I'm Messiah and I'm King," so that they can go to Rome and say, "Hey, look, this guy's trying to start a rebellion." Because anybody 
in really in history in any any major uh, empire in history, but Rome was no different, and Rome certainly put to death a lot of rebels, right? And so if they can prove that Jesus is trying to start a resur- uh, an insurrection, um, a, a rebellion against Rome, boom, <laughs> that's the ticket to get him put to death. Um, and of course we know Jesus is uh, king, and he is starting a, a revolution of sorts, but it's not the type, it's not at all the type that people in Rome or, or, or Israel or anywhere else would have would have embraced or feared. It was a totally different kind of kingdom, and he is a totally different kind of king, um, a much better king than any kind of, uh, of king we could imagine, because how does Jesus choose to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth? He chooses to establish it by loving people, serving people, healing people, raising the dead, casting out demons, uh, preaching good news, and then ultimately embracing this fate that God had set before him of going to the cross, um, sacrificing himself uh, for us. And so, yeah, there's this beautiful uh, and tragic, in a way, contrast that Mark's painting between how, how Peter operates, how Jesus operates, but even, even Peter's really broken actions in this story, in a way, are kind of like good news for us. Because um, Jesus is going to die for this very person who abandoned him at his deepest hour of need. Um, Jesus, in this moment, is utterly alone. Utterly alone. Uh, He's been betrayed by the religious leaders. He's been betrayed by his nation. He's been uh, betrayed by one of his closest friends, by Judas. And now he's being denied by his best friend on earth. So it is an incredibly lonely moment. And in Jesus' moment, uh, like lowest moment, one of the lowest moments of his earthly life, what's he doing? He's embracing this role as the suffering king. He is king, but he establishes his kingdom through suffering and service and self-sacrifice. He embraces his role as king through the most profound act of love the world has ever known. So what are we to do? Well, let's embrace that role as well. Let's think about how we can deny ourselves, how we can put ourselves aside to love and serve our nerdy neighbors, to love and serve the people around us. And then secondly, let's embrace our kingdom vocation, our kingdom jobs, our kingdom roles, right? Um, that we would see ourselves um, as, as participants in this very kingdom, that we would look for ways to plug in that we would um, do the things that Jesus did and that we wouldn't worry about the consequences because Jesus demonstrates that living for him, uh, denying self and lifting up his kingdom, which means denying self and lifting up the poor. It means denying self and lifting up the needy. It means denying self and lifting up people who don't have many friends. It means denying denying self and lifting up people who are overcome with anxiety. It means denying self and loving our spouses, our friends, our children, our neighbors, um, and looking for ways to deliberately and, and intentionally love and serve them. Um, that's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. It's not that complicated. And it's it can be costly, but it's so good. It's so good. Hope that you see that. 
Hope this has been encouraging to you. Um, I hope to see you again next week. Thanks for your time.